You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. This is a, it's sort of a matter of semantics here, and this is a real stretch, true, but I want you to think about that. If you really want to experience the peace of God, what you need to do is draw more of Christ into your life. You need to make that commitment. You need to seek Him. You know, Jesus Himself said, Seeking you shall find, knocking the door shall be open unto you. It's a labor, it's an effort on our part, right? To seek after Christ, to learn of Him to draw closer to him. It's an effort. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be answered to you. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Mike, he encourages you to seek after the Lord. If you desire the peace of God in your life, you need to seek after Christ. All peace, joy, and love are found in Christ. Pastor Mike urges you that when you draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. So make a commitment in your days and weeks ahead to draw near to Him. Set up a healthy rhythm through prayer, devotions, and staying in Scripture. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as he begins his message, A New Race of People. There are two interpretations to this text concerning, notice, go back to verse 14, that phrase, the middle wall of partition. And as I mentioned, there are two interpretations of this phrase, and either or both may be correct. And so I'm going to share both of them with you in just a moment. The first of which is, this may be a reference to the temple. I mean, think about it. Paul is the writer of this particular epistle, the epistle to the church at Ephesus. And as a Jew, Paul would be aware of the restrictions imposed upon Gentiles approaching the temple in the city of Jerusalem. So possibly Paul was thinking about that. You see, at one time, right, before Christ came and died for the sins of the entire race, and through that, accomplish this new race of people, I want you to once again remember that once Gentiles had no access to God whatsoever. Now, I want you to think about this as it relates to the temple. Within the temple, there were several courts leading to the sanctuary. In fact, there were four in all. There were the courts, uh, there was the court of the priests or the Levites. The Levite, the tribe of Levi, uh, was consecrated for the priesthood. Then there was the 
uh, court of the Israelites, you know, if you were a, a Jew, well, then you would be able to enter into that particular area of the temple. And then also, there was designated another court, particularly for women alone. And then the fourth court uh, was that of the court of the Gentiles. And it was nothing more than so, sort of like a, a tourist attraction, uh, very similar to, like, for example, the Statue of, of Liberty. It was a place where uh, people who were Gentiles, who were unbelievers, would, would come and just, you know, to check out the temple and the glory of the temple. And, uh, but the, uh, the, uh, uh, it, was, it was something that was overlaid with gold, and it was to symbolize the glory of the city of Jerusalem and what God had done in and for his people. But aliens or non-Jews were not permitted beyond that area. They weren't able to go beyond the court of the Gentiles. In fact, Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian, tells us that there was a sign uh, hung there in that precinct that forbade any foreigner to go beyond that point under the penalty of death. In fact, remember, Paul was accused of a violation of this law himself. Remember going back to the book of Acts in chapter 21, and, and just a part of that will come up here on the screen in just a moment, but let me set this up for you. Um, Paul had come back to the city of Jerusalem, and at that particular time, through his preaching and through the, peach, uh, the preaching of Peter and some of the other disciples, many Jews were being converted. Uh, but Paul was sort of getting a bad rap, and uh, he was accused of not only preaching the gospel, but preaching against the ceremonial law. But the, the problem was is that many of the Jews were coming to, to Christ. And uh, so the council there in the city of Jerusalem was encouraging Paul to, look, you know, uh, you're, you're really not uh, doing anything that's beneficial in advancing the gospel among the Jews when they perceive you as someone who's preaching against the ceremonial law. So what they suggested was that there, that there were these young fellows who were going to be consecrated, were going to go into the temple to swear a, uh, to make a vow that is the vow of the Nazarite, and they suggested that Paul sponsor these young men. So Paul went into the temple along with these young men who were taking the vow of the Nazarite, which was a vow of consecration. So with that said, uh, picking up now in the book of, of Acts, uh, there in chapter 21, in verses 27 through 29. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, that was uh, a part of the uh, time that was involved in the consecration of these young men, taking the vow of a Nazarite. The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, that is, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Now, why did they do that? Verse 28, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law. And this place, that is the temple. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks. Okay, this is what they were indicting him against, that he had brought these Greeks into the inner sanctuary, that he brought Gentiles into the inner sanctuary where they had no place of being, that he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And then in verse 29, 
for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with them in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Okay, so Paul was accused of this violation of this laws. His enemies said he had brought Greeks into the restricted area of the temple. And so anyway, the middle wall of partition that's being referred to here in verse 14, go back to our text, could be referring to that, that separation, those, those different uh, courts contained within the temple. Again, the Gentiles had no possible access to God. So that is a plausible uh, explanation. And by the way, I, I subscribe to both of these interpretations. I, both, I think both of them would apply here. But then also, some Bible teachers prefer another interpretation, which suggests that Paul was thinking of the animosity which existed between Jews and Gentiles. Remember, the Jews had nothing to do with the Gentiles. They would have nothing to do with the Gentiles. If, in fact, uh, we talked about this, I think, last time, the common uh, feeling which was promoted by the rabbis of that day was that God had created the Gentiles to fan the fires of hell. And, uh, man, uh, but that was the common feeling amongst the Jews concerning the Gentiles of that day. In fact, if a Jew was on his way to the temple uh, to worship and happened to, you know, on the street, brush up against a Gentile, he would have to go through all of these rites of purification uh, before he would actually be able to enter into the temple. And so there was this animosity, there was this hostility, there was this enmity, as the Bible puts it here in Ephesians chapter 2, that existed between the Jews and Gentiles. So here is uh, Paul's line of thinking. Uh, they teach that since Paul was writing to Gentiles in Asia, and uh, there at the church in uh, Ephesus, the recipients of his message would have little, if any, interest in the construction of the Jewish temple altogether. And therefore, the reference to the middle wall of partition indicated the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Paul, they say, would here be explaining that this enmity, verse 15, had been removed by the atoning death of the Savior. Okay? So, two explanations. Uh, I think both of them would apply here in this case. Now, that leads us up to our second point, and that is the war is over. That is, the war is over because of what Christ has done between Jew and Gentile. And isn't that exactly what our text of Scripture is suggesting to us this morning? <coughs> you see, Paul here, in this section of Ephesians, was endeavoring to explain that Christ had instituted a new kind of spiritual reality. What had existed for centuries had now been abolished, this enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles. Racial strife and bitterness had been outlawed to make possible a new form of international fellowship. Go back to our text. Let's read verses 14 and 15 once again. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity, 
that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, I'll explain all of this in just a moment, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. From what two? From the Jew and the Gentile, this new race, thus making peace. And by the way, you know, I don't have this here in my notes, but you've heard me mention this before. I love the way that this uh, text begins, and it says, for he himself is our peace. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Uh, Jesus himself is our peace. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, uh, it would actually be wrong, and you've heard me talk about this before, it would actually be wrong Let's say you're in some kind of a situation where there's strife or confusion or you're facing uh, some unsure thing within your life and you're very anxious about those things and, you're, and so you pray, God, give me peace concerning this particular situation. You know, it would actually be wrong to pray to God the Father for peace that is apart from God the Son. So rather, what we should be asking God the Father for is more of Jesus in our lives. And as we draw Jesus into our lives in a greater way, the result of that, the effect of that is what? Is peace. You see that? So we shouldn't really be asking God, and I know this is a, it's sort of a matter of semantics here, and this is a real stretch, true, but I want you to think about that. If you really want to experience the peace of God, what you need to do is draw more of Christ into your life. You need to make that commitment. You need to seek him. You know, Jesus himself said, seeking you shall find, knocking the door shall be open unto you. It's a labor, it's an effort on our part, right? To seek after Christ, to learn of him, to draw closer to him. It's an effort. It just doesn't happen, right? And uh, it happens through our regular time of Bible study, and I hope every one of you has a regular devotional on a daily basis. It happens in a Thursday night service, in a midweek service, making that commitment to come on out. Uh, on a Sunday morning, home Bible study groups, the seminars that we often uh, host you know, over the weekends, like marriage enrichment seminars, or the women's uh, weekly Monday night Bible study, or the monthly men's discipleship ministry. These are a variety of different ways where we draw closer unto the Lord, the result of which is we receive of that peace. Isn't that true? Right? Because we're closer to him. We just sense his presence. God, he speaks to us in our need. You know, how many times do we come into a service like this one and, and uh, there's something on our hearts or some issue that we're dealing with? Uh, uh, maybe we've lost a job. Maybe a loved one has become sick. Or we're facing some unsure future or whatever. <coughs> And uh, we have these questions on our mind, and we come into the service like this, not even expecting you know, God to put his hand on that area of our lives, but he has a habit of speaking to us, right? He knows exactly how to meet our needs, how to speak to those kinds of questions within our, our lives. And so these are just a variety of different ways where we draw closer to Jesus, the result of which is this peace, this experience of Peace. So again, let me say that the racial strife and bitterness had now been outlawed to make possible a new form of international fellowship. Now herein was the problem. This was some of the problem that, uh, that lent itself to this hostility, this opposition between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
And it was really the subject of legalism. You know, you, you, when you place certain restrictions upon people, you would think that it would have the opposite effects. You would think that if they subscribe uh, to certain observances, it would draw all people together. But just the opposite is true. You see, Moses gave to Israel certain commandments in the Old Testament regarding, like, for example, their diet, which was a part of the ceremonial law, or their conduct, the way that they were to live their lives. But here was the problem. Successive generations, unfortunately, increased their legal requirements until the traditions of the fathers became a burden too heavy to be carried. In fact, volumes of books had been written to interpret the law. And the law was pretty basic. I mean, you know, God laid it out to Moses, and then Moses, in turn, gave it to God's people. And, but, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes took it upon themselves to go ahead and to continue to interpret those laws. And there were volumes and volumes of books that were written on that particular subject. And thus, the result of which was, and again, this led to the enmity, the opposition, the division between the Jews and the Gentiles, you see, serenity and peace no longer depended upon a dedicated worshiping heart, but rather a strict observance of the laws which had no connection with true spirituality. In fact, Jesus himself often addressed this issue, rebuking the Pharisees. Like, for example, in the book that we've been studying on Thursday evenings, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 23, and this was an indictment that he brought against the Jews and the Pharisees. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 23 and verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what were those weightier matters of the law? Justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> this was the indictment that he's bringing against them. He goes on and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So this, this was a, a part, this was the result of, you know, the Pharisees getting hold of the, of the basic laws that had been given uh, from God to Moses and in turn given to the people of God, and these uh, extracurricular, you know, responses that demands that were placed upon them. And thus, once again, let me say, peace no longer depended upon a dedicated worshiping heart, but on strict observance of the laws which had no connection whatsoever with their spirituality. Acceptance within the precincts of Israel did not depend upon consecration, but upon rather what the Pharisees declared to be holy. And listen, there was a great difference there. 
what God required had been made subservient to the wishes of the Pharisees. And again, this led to all kinds of problems, but particularly between the Jews and the Gentiles. So Paul here insisted that things had now changed. The war which existed within the souls of nations should end because Christ had made possible a fellowship pleasing both to God and to man. Think about it. Invited and initiated now into the family of God, these Gentiles, people saw each other as brothers and sisters and no longer enemies. You know, I, I think about, for example, the, uh, the Jews in Jerusalem. And uh, I, I think they actually, you know, took advantage of people's good nature. And, you know, people were kind of ripping off one another amongst the Jews, these new Gentile, uh, these new Jewish believers. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that at, after the... Uh, 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 after the beginnings or the inceptions of the first church, the Bible tells us that the people there, they were all Jews, had all things in common. And, uh, but I think that there was among those people, people who were taking advantage of other people. And they weren't working. And they were taking advantage of what other people had. And it got to the point where the church in the city of Jerusalem had become extremely poor. And so Paul, as he's traveling amongst these new Gentile believers, is taking up these offerings. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians, for example, and also in the book of Romans. Remember about the, the different, uh, at different times he receives these offerings. And these offerings were taken up among Gentile believers and were to go to relieve the suffering and the want of the believers in the city of, of Jerusalem. Now, how, how in the world did that take place? Because they were interested. God enlarged their heart, you see. And uh, God created this new race of people where there was no division, where there was no opposition, where there was no difference between the Jew nor the Gentile. And so people saw each other as brothers and sisters and no longer enemies. They found pleasure in helping their former foes. Listen, true peace had now become possible through the merit of Christ's death. Folks, truly, the war was over. Now this brings us to our third point this morning, and that is God's wish becomes a reality. If you're taking notes, write that down. Now evidently, what had been accomplished here, that is creating this new race of people, the enmity uh, being put to rest, Evidently, what had been accomplished had been carefully planned out in all of eternity. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. As we study the book of Ephesians together, we pray it has encouraged you to restore relationships. Unity can be such a hard task to accomplish, but as the Apostle Paul wrote, unity binds us together in Jesus. If there's someone in your life that you need to reach out to today, know we are praying both for you and for them. 
You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again, or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening so everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.